everybody, and welcome to From Plum Creek with Love, a little house on the prairie podcast. I'm your host, John Hernandez. Beyonce was amazing. That should go without saying, but I'm gonna say it anyway. The show, the dancers, everything was amazing. Unfortunately, what was not amazing was everything leading up to the show. And oddly enough, it all began on Tuesday evening when I left my wallet at work. And although I worked Wednesday, it was not at the same location. I woke up Thursday, had everything set to go, was ready to drive my car down to the train station, and then, yeah, I couldn't find my wallet. As I tore my house apart and ripped open my luggage, which was really just a backpack, trying to locate my wallet, plenty of counterproductive thoughts were going through my head. There was even a brief, brief moment where I thought, oh my goodness, am I going to miss the concert tonight? Thankfully, that one thought allowed me to compose myself, grab my backpack, hop in my car, and make that choice to drive in to work to see if my wallet was there. Needless to say, I ended up with an impromptu road trip as well as slightly scratching my car and getting a parking ticket. Little moments like that will make sure that this experience is never forgotten. And with that being said, let's get started on today's recap. Today's episode is entitled, What Happened to the Class of 56? and debuted on January 14th, 1980. The episode was written by John T. Dugan and directed by Michael Landon. We open with water rushing over the mill wheel. It's another lovely day in Walnut Grove. The camera zooms in onto the church, school, courthouse, general hospital, multi-purpose building. Today, it's functioning as a meeting hall for the local Grange. And what's on the agenda? proposal talk of local chapters joining a national cooperative. And together, they could organize and set up their own deal directly with the farm machinery manufacturers, cutting out the middleman, the middleman being retailers, which would, in the end, save them money. Jonathan Garvey raises his hand. The retailers have their own organization, and suggests there could be some retaliation from the retailers onto the manufacturers. Although the room seems skeptic, Charles tells everyone it's working in Kansas. Jonathan Garvey wants examples, which is when Charles provides a slideshow. Just kidding. He does provide numbers, though, on a paper of how much Kansas Grangers have been saving purchasing directly from the manufacturers. It's then put to a vote if they will go along with the National Grange, and it's unanimous. The next order of business is who's going to go and represent them in Milwaukee. Jonathan Garvey commandeers the audience as he, without hesitation, nominates Charles. The vote is also unanimous. Back at Plum Creek, Charles enters the house and surprises Caroline with a trip to Milwaukee. And we find out how they can afford it. The Grange is picking up all the expenses. 
You know, like last time they sent Charles to a Grange convention. You know, back in season four's Times of Change. While Caroline, once again, has her doubts about leaving the children alone, Charles assures her the kids can take care of themselves. Laura, with an eye roll, Mom, we do it all the time. Carolyn, being a mother, reminds us about baby Grace, and Charles has already planned it out that she will go to the Garveys while the kids are at school. Now that business one is taken care of, business two begins when Charles pulls a letter from his pocket from a Dylan Hyde and hands it to Caroline. And without a beat, she says how she hasn't seen him since he left for college. Albert's wondering what we're all wondering. Who's Dylan Hyde? Apparently, he's the Grand Master of the National Grange. He comes from a rich family in Concord. She also mentions how dashing he was and how all the girls would swoon over him. Laura inquires, You have eyes for him, Ma? Caroline, uh, your father's way more attractive. I only have eyes for you, as she stares at him. And what's it say in the letter? It's an invitation to their 25th class reunion. It doesn't say middle or high, just class. P.S. Doing the math. The year is 1881. Oh, and wouldn't you know it? The reunion is the same weekend as the convention. It's also on the last night they're there after the Grange meeting. Talk about convenient. Caroline is now fully on board with going to Milwaukee. We cut to the mercantile. Harriet hands change to Mrs. Foster before helping Caroline, who has baby Grace in tow. Caroline hands Harriet her list she wrote up, and looking at it up and down, Ugh, you have such fine penmanship. Harriet eventually gets to her point. I bet your handwriting is just as good as Dylan Hyde's. She mentions how she heard he wrote to somebody here at Walnut Grove. Caroline confesses it was me. And in a fake response, Harriet, oh, really? And thus, she begins trying to find out the contents of the letter. Caroline fills her in how they are former classmates and how her and Charles are attending their 25th class reunion. When Harriet inquires what she's going to wear, Caroline bemoans that she has no time to make a new dress, which of course unleashes disapproving Harriet and states for an occasion like this, Stobot, Stobot, Stobot! It's an expense they can't afford, Harriet, we can work it out. As she offers Caroline two very exquisite outfits at 50% off. Mentioning again, they will work something out. Just tag me in your post mentioning where it came from. Just kidding, but not by much. As Caroline continues to admire the dresses, Harriet says, Ugh. You bet I'd be dressed to the nines for my 25th reunion. And thank you, thank you, thank you. 
Caroline legit begins to LOL at this remark. Infectious as it is, Harriet joins in. As they continue to LOL, Harriet inquires, Ah, what's so funny? Caroline shares. Needless to say, Harriet stops laughing in that moment, but the scene is disrupted by baby Grace breaking something. Caroline, still unable to stop from laughing, gathers up Grace. Harriet, not happy with being shaded, tells Caroline the broken merchandise is going on her bill and now can no longer have credit. That doesn't stop Caroline from laughing. With Grace in arms, she heads out the door as Harriet scolds her for not being able to control her giggles and with a final remark refers to her as senile. Caroline can't hear it because she's still busy LOLing. Cut to engine three. Charline are in their seats as Jonathan Garvey is waving on the other side of the window, telling him to have fun and not to worry about the kids. And they're off as the train pulls away. En route, Caroline is excited about this experience. She asks that age-old question, where has the time gone? And for the second time in this episode, she gushes over how handsome Charles is. It's idle chit-chat between the two of them before he pulls her close and they enjoy the rest of the ride. And poof! Magically, we're in Chicago. I mean, Milwaukee. Stock footage. Inside the hotel, shut the door. Literally, of an elevator. Our first one in the Prairieverse. Even Charline is amazed as they enter the scene and watch the car go up. As they are checking in and signing the register, out of the blue we hear Caroline Quiner. We cut to a rather animated individual, even more animated than Toby No. This man's name is Arnie Cups, and although he seems to know Caroline, he seems clueless to Charles, even after it's mentioned they used to get in so much trouble together. He makes a quick exit announcing he has an appointment to sell some land, and exit, bellowing, I can't wait for that reunion. We cut back to Charles and Caroline, still at the front desk. Charles looks like he's undone another button on his shirt. Caroline takes this moment to repeat Artie's wife's name, Hattie Cups, who used to be known as Hattie Simpson, Caroline's best friend in school. The concierge rings for a bellhop and starts to take Charline to the elevator, living it up as they are going up. Charles seems unsure about this modern technology, even after he's informed the room's located on the seventh floor. With his arm around his wife, he tells the bellhop they'll take the stairs. A little disappointed, Caroline tries to get Charles inside the elevator, you want to hang in a room by a little itty-bitty rope? It's fine by me. Caroline smiles and tells the bellhop, we'll meet you upstairs. As they are unpacking and hanging clothes in a closet, Caroline mentions how lovely the room is. There's even a fresh bouquet of roses and a bottle of champagne. Oh, with a letter. Um, 
from Dylan Hyde. Picking up the envelope, Charles inquires, does he know I'm here? There's a knock at the door. Charles, with that bottle in hand, answers it. It's a bellhop with another letter. Charles hands him the bottle of champagne and tells him to enjoy. And I can't help but wonder, maybe Caroline wanted to try the champagne. This letter envelope contains an invitation from Mr. and Mrs. Thaddeus Sawyer to a sorry. Caroline giggles at Charles' pronunciation and corrects him. As Caroline wonders aloud who Thaddeus Sawyer is, Charles mentions at the bottom of the invite, it's written, Remember Amy Phillips. Caroline squeals with excitement as she informs us Amy Phillips was the smartest person in school. And according to Charles, they used to call her String Bean Amy. As Charles announces he's going to go take a bath, Caroline wonders what she's going to wear. Charles, uh, nothing. Caroline gasps as Charles explains, it says dress optional. As Charles goes to cool off in his bath, Caroline takes this time to play dress up as the camera focuses in on the invitation. It's later that evening. We are in the gold room. I wonder what the platinum room is like. There are so many people here. Immediately upon entry, Charline are greeted by Mrs. Thaddeus Sawyer, a.k.a. Amy Phillips, and she is no longer a string bean. She immediately escorts Charline to meet her husband, Thaddeus Sawyer, and a gentleman by the name of Winthrop Morgan. We're then escorted to another group where a German man is letting us know when you drink Platz beer, you're always full of good cheer. This is Jacob Platz, owner of Platz beer. Amy introduces his wife, Florence Platz, or as you might have known her in school, Florence Garner. Caroline smiles and says hello. It's good to see you. Florence looks her up and down and responds, thank you. Artie's there with his wife, Hattie, who's supposed to be Caroline's best friend back in school, but there doesn't seem to be much excitement. And it's at this moment we are finally introduced to Dylan Hyde, and Charles is 100% more attractive. Caroline introduces Charles to Dylan. Oh, it's good to see you, Charlie boy. Then immediately turns all of his attention back to Caroline. We cut to the one person with the, I don't want to say loudest outfit, but it's the only one that has a print. She's double fisting glasses of champagne. She seems to be having a good time by herself. FYI, her name's Clementina. P.S. We also find out she's the wife of Dylan Hyde as he comes and introduces Caroline to her. Clementina shrills with joy and sets her drinks down and gives Caroline a hug. She is happy. Drunk happy. And she shares a memory of how she used to ask Caroline for help with algebra. I don't even know what algebra means. 
as she grabs a bottle and noticing it's empty, leaves the group. At this moment, Dylan escorts Caroline out on the terrace for some air and Clementina looks like she's 100% drinking her feelings. Cut to Charles listening to Thaddeus Sawyer voice his concern about the Grange going co-op. His business is farm machinery manufacturer. Arnie Cups is also concerned because he's got a big farm. He then inquires to Charles how big his farm is. They're informed it's 160 acres. And Florence Platts, who's in the scene, inquires, how do you make a decent living with such a small place? She's the Nelly of her class. Almost seeing as if he's prepared for that question, he tells her, nicely. Outside, Dylan is telling Caroline about his 2,000-acre estate and farm, the Willows. From behind, Artie comes rushing out and interrupts the conversation. And Caroline then witnesses Arnie ask for a loan of $100, which he promises to pay back when the banks open in the morning. Dylan doesn't even bat an eye when he pulls out the cash and hands over the loan. At this moment, Charles comes out to find Caroline. He is over this shindig. While Caroline protests they can't leave, Charles informs her they're not going to miss us. They're too busy telling each other how rich they are. His words, not mine. Caroline agrees, but they first have to say goodnight. Charles, anything to get away from this pomp and circumstance. We get a quick moment informing us the senator and governor are in attendance and the mention of a new farm bill. As Charline are trying to make their exit, they're stopped by the Sawyers. While Charles mentions they've had a long day of traveling, Dylan pops up and tells Charlie Boy, you're tired, maybe Caroline would like to stay. Caroline concurs with Charles. That's when Dylan offers an invitation for supper tomorrow. Caroline says yes. Charles mentions the convention. But Dylan, oh, I'll be at the convention tomorrow as well. As they say, business before pleasure. Amy says she will be there, her husband as well, and will give them a chance to talk. Caroline accepts the invitation for the both of them, and they leave. Up in the hotel room, there's a do not disturb sign on the door as Caroline tells Charles how Clementina wasn't smart, but she was always pretty as a picture. So slim and graceful. They're sharing their first impressions of seeing their old classmates. When the topic turns to Dylan, Charles simply responds with, I'm tired. But when called out, Charles confesses, Life married to me mustn't be easy. He proceeds to compare himself to Dylan and their accomplishments. If you'd married Dylan Hyde, you'd have everything. Caroline shakes her head. I'm not in love with Dylan Hyde, as she reassures Charles she's got it all. Charles, ugh, good. I think Dylan Hyde is a pain in the butt. His words, not mine. Caroline LOLs and they go to bed. Cut to Charline 
returning from what is implied a skimpy breakfast. There's a letter waiting for Charles, and it's another invite. This time to a pre-convention meeting of the Minnesota Grange at 9 o'clock. What time is it now? We're informed the invite is from Winthrop Morgan, the gentleman who spent most of his time next to Thaddeus Sawyer at last night's soiree. While he's doing that, we're informed Caroline is going to be busy trapsing around the city of Milwaukee with her BF, Hattie Cups. Shlemiel, Shlemiel. As Charles heads out to the meeting, she reminds him about Dylan Hyde's invitation. Charles groans and rolls his eyes. Not really, but he does offer her a snarky, how could I forget? We find ourselves at the Grains pre-convention meeting. Winthrop Morgan is in front of everyone presenting his argument of not to go to a national co-op. And after responding with a number of vague answers, Charles finally asks, Who are you representing? Mr. Winthrop Morgan represents the National Farm Machinery Retailers Association. The room erupts and groans. Arnie Cup stands up and yells the best response. We've been flim-flammed. Within seconds, Charles calms the room and tells the members they've collected to hear about a proposal. And that proposal from the National Farm Machinery Retailers Association is a 10% discount. Needless to say, it's rejected. Winthrop Morgan still insists this plan to go co-op won't work. In the end, the retailers will undersell because they're willing to take a loss. But over time, it will prove they've got more resources than the farmers. He points a finger to the crowd and states, most of you are poor. You'll end up breaking up. It's inevitable. Charles stands up in denial, denying these ideas and insists we'll stick together. And within seconds, Charles rallies the room, which then proceeds to vacate, chanting together. No, that's what they're chanting. Together. Thaddeus Sawyer is there. He's the last man in the room, other than Winthrop Morgan. And as he leaves, closing the door, there's a curious eye exchange between the two of them. Later that afternoon, we are at the Willows. Dylan and Clementina's place. The party guests are arriving by buckboard and a convertible coach. Caroline is serving up some truly scrumptious with her outfit. As Charline are stepping out of their wagon, Dylan and Amy are returning from a horse riding trip. He inquires to Charlie Boy why he's not dressed. My name's Charles. Dylan inquires to Caroline why she's not dressed for riding. She says no thank you. And when Dylan inquires to Charlie a second time, we hear, um... It's still Charles. And these are my writing clothes. I love Charles so much in this moment. He continues by saying, these are also my walking clothes. And when they're worn out, he leans in, they'll be my working clothes and winks. Yes, just kidding. But imagine if he really did. 
In the same sentence, Dylan offers Charles a horse, but then claims it might be too much for him. And as Charles gets into the saddle, he announces, I'll decide, and rides off. With Amy Sawyer, Phillips, not far behind. As soon as Charles is gone, Dylan offers Caroline a secluded carriage ride around the Willow's property. And ick, when he states he won't take no for an answer. As the two exit the scene, in the background, we see Thaddeus Sawyer and Clementina Hyde working on their drinks. Cut to Charles, proving he knows how to ride a stud. And although it's a really long take of them riding across the scene, it's nice to know this man's got stamina. After a nice hard ride, the horses are given a break and Charles joins Amy, who's having a seat next to a duck-filled pond. And I have to confess, I'm waiting for her to pull a Widow Mumford. Amy shares her feelings about wondering whatever happened to Charles. Charles tells her, I'm a farmer. I have five kids. You? Amy confesses how her husband Thaddeus is more married to his work she says she's envious of Caroline. That's when she takes a hold of Charles's hand and let the widow mumfering begin. She guides his hands towards her face and she mentions how soft they are, how strong they are. And there is an audible snort from me when Charles claims those hands are strong from shoveling manure. She releases his hands, and Charles announces he's going to check the horses. And out of the fire and into the frying pan, we catch up with Caroline on that cringe carriage ride with Dylan Hyde. He decides it's time to pull over into the shade, and while she admires the view, Dylan inquires if she makes it up to Milwaukee frequently. Charles and I, we just don't have free time. Dylan informs her he's not talking about Charles. It's at this time Dylan solicits Caroline to be his beck and call girl. I'll pay for your travel and your lodging. Caroline, without looking at him, admits Charles was right. When Dylan inquires about what, she informs him. You, being a pain in the butt. Dylan Hyde gets the message and immediately recoils, starts the engine, horses, does a U-turn, and drives back to the party. We are back in the hotel room and Charles is complaining about the food and thankful they only have one day left in Milwaukee. Caroline is in bed and Charles notices there seems to be something on her mind and when he crawls in bed and inquires to her, Caroline begins to sob. Charles hugs her and says he understands. It's them. Caroline claims everyone is so different and she wonders they're rich and successful, but they don't seem happy with what they got. And looking at his wife, Charles claims he's happy with his simple kind of life because I love you. 
I honestly love you. I really love you. And I'm nothing, nothing, nothing without you. He praises his life as a farmer. I love it. Being a father, I love it. And best of all, I'm married to Caroline Ingalls. And I like it, I love it, and I want some more of it. Yes, they kiss. He proposes all over again. And of course, she says yes. And they turn out the lights. Cut to the next day, and it's official. The vote has happened. The Grange are going national co-op. Thaddeus Sawyer is there, along with Wilford Morgan, taunting the Grange members. And Charles lets them know, We may not be strong like you. Not one-on-one. But altogether, we are the Borg. Arnie then takes Charles out for a celebration before tonight's wingding, the reunion. From there, we get a strange lingering scene of Thaddeus Sawyer getting in the elevator. Wilford Morgan closes the door for him and promises they will get them back. Thaddeus Sawyer turns and says goodbye, Morgan. And with that, the elevator goes up with Thaddeus Morgan staring down at Wilford Morgan, who has an uncomfortable smile on his face. But we are finally at the reunion, and it's crowded. Everyone we've met from before is in attendance. We find Dylan at a table with the Platts. He's busy staring at Charline. Clementina is out on the floor, dancing on her own. And we cut to Jacob Platts loving his beer and Florence bragging about how they donated the beer for free to this party. And Jacob brags of his generosity. But Dylan Hyde, he's a different man tonight. He informs Jacob the donation was for free publicity. And as he gets up, he tells Jacob how much he hates Platts beer. It looks as though Dylan Hyde is turning into Dylan Jekyll. He is visibly intoxicated. As he passes his wife on the dance floor, he tries to cut in on Charline dancing. You mind if I cut in, Charlie boy? Charlie says he in fact does mind. And when Dylan tries to explain etiquette, Charles claims, I never said I had any. He then tells Dylan to go dance with his own wife. We cut to Clementina, who's heard all of this and is doing the best she can to conceal her amusement at her husband's expense. As Dylan walks past his wife, he yells at her to stop making a spectacle of herself, pulls a drink from her hand and grabs a hold of her wrist and pulls her to a table. Sit down! Artie and Hattie Cubs have replaced Florence and Jacob Platts, not surprised. And in the next moment, Dylan Jekyll is telling Artie off as well and proceeds to publicly humiliate him by calling him a four-flusher and proceeds to shove Artie into a waiter who of course is carrying plates and everything drops to the floor. And that's when the music stops. Charles intervenes. Without thinking, Dylan Jekyll grabs Charles by the arm. 
Who do you think you're talking to, Charlie boy? From Charles. Uh, watch what you take hold of. I've been working hard for 25 years. Dylan Hyde lets go of Charles's arm, returns to his table where Clementina is sitting. But not for long. Upon seeing this, she stands up and announces Dylan Hyde is scared of a poor dirt farmer. <laughs> She's told to shut up. And without missing a beat, Clementina announces, Make me. She tells her husband, despite his wealth, he's worthless. And together, we've got nothing. Unfortunately, that's when Clementina gets a slap to the face. Fortunately, that's when Dylan gets a punch in the gut. And he is staggering, catching his breath, moving from table to table, and eventually settling on the ground. We hear the names Charles. The Ingalls make their exit. And within seconds, it's like nothing happened. A two charline in their lift Uber wagon ride, arriving at Plum Creek. And as they climb out and tip their driver, just kidding, as they climb out, they take in the sight of their homestead. The door opens up and the family comes running out, yes, even baby Grace, to greet them. Looking at the children, Charles proclaims, if that's not successful, then I'm not sure what is. If you are having your first high school reunion this coming year, I highly encourage you to go. I had such a blast at mine, and it wasn't even really mine. Sort of. My senior year of high school, I left the eastern edge of Washington State and went almost all the way to the southern border of California. It was a rather interesting year. Less than two weeks after graduating, I found myself back up in the Pacific Northwest. California was not for me. I met some really cool people down in Southern California that year, some of them seniors. So as that 10-year reunion approached, I was in contact with some old friends through MySpace and planned to go home to visit during the reunion. Now, I wouldn't say I crashed it. I had known everyone there, some of them all the way from elementary school. So I had plenty to talk about with my classmates. Needless to say, everything you could have expected to happen at a reunion happened. And in living color, it was so awesome. I should also mention there was a pre-reunion get-together as well, which was like an uncensored version of the actual reunion. 100% one of those great times in August back in Spokane. My 20th was exciting on a different level. I was part of the group to help organize it, and I was in charge with trying to contact everyone and extend them an invite. And I have to say, I was rather successful with getting the word out. And I was happy to see faces that I didn't see the first time. So, Cheney High School, class of 97, here's looking at you, and I hope you're all doing well. Now for some trivia. 
Again, it should come as no surprise that the information provided is from Caroline Fraser's Pulitzer-winning book, Prairie Fires. Do you know what Caroline Ingalls was doing in 1856? She was teaching. She was in her second year of teaching at the school that she had graduated from. She was 17. In fact, Charles and Caroline didn't meet until 1854, with Charles being a strapping 18-year-old lad and Caroline a 15-year-old, still in school, which of course contradicts everything we saw back in season fours. I remember, I remember. And with that, let's get to reviewing and rating this episode. So the year is 1881, which makes Laura 14, and the ew factor between her and Almanzo is even more ew. But this episode isn't about Laura. It's about Charles and Caroline having that time-old experience of a class reunion. And what an experience it was for the both of them. As I was trying to avoid reading the synopsis for this episode and saw the mention of them heading to Milwaukee, I was really curious. How can they afford that trip, but they couldn't afford $32 to publish some books? And interestingly enough, we got another Grange story. And once again, this storyline is recycled. This time from season four's Times of Change. The Ingalls, in some combination, go to the big city and spend their time between antics at the Grange and something else that will affect the Ingalls personally. Could we go to St. Louis next? Harriet can show us around town. She is from there, after all. And I will say, the reunion was a great way of keeping my attention. But the Grange... The Grange storyline here just... Mm. I don't know. It, it seemed as though it was trying to set up something really big here. There's talk of the Grange going to a national co-op, essentially then making three organizations, manufacturers, retailers, and the Grange itself, which they brought up and discussed. They even mentioned that the senator and the governor were there to talk about a new farm bill. And lastly, that ending between Thaddeus Sawyer and Winthrop Morgan... Is there going to be some sort of sinister plot that's going to come in and throw the Prairieverse into upheaval? In this episode, they really seem to make that um, kind of important and didn't kind of follow through. But one thing that did follow through was this week's Little House moment. Or should I say moments? Because it is actually split amongst the many, many, many snarky comments that Charles delivered to Dylan Hyde. We don't usually get to see this side of Charles, but I am all for it. Sure, every once in a while he gets a zinger in towards Harriet, but this, oh, Charles is not holding back and I love it. And with that, let's finally get to rating this episode. You wanna know my favorite part about this episode? Carrie didn't say a single word. She's silently working on her homework in the, her first scene, while at the end, along with her siblings, she's simply running towards the camera. Let's just say, 
after last week's episode, it was refreshing not to hear her. So my dislike or complaint about this episode is this Grange storyline. I know we had to get Caroline and Charles to Milwaukee somehow for this reunion. However, there seemed to be a lot of time spent with building up the importance of these different factions in regards to farming. But seriously, every time someone opened their mouth to make a comment about Grange news, activities, whatever, I just wanted to go back to the reunion or the pre-reunion activities because that's where the excitement was at. The thing that stuck out the most for me about this episode was how it gave Charles and Caroline, it gave them a little more depth by allowing us to see another part of their life pre-Little House on the Prairie. We've already seen young stages in their life, whether through flashbacks, stories from their parents, or an entire episode. But this is kind of the first time we get to know something about Charles and Caroline that isn't through their family, but through people they knew when they weren't at home. We see them respond to memories that are sparked when they interact with their old classmates, but also coming to terms with how time has changed everyone over those years. And so yes, I would have completely sacrificed the whole Grange storyline if we could have seen that exchange between Caroline hanging out with her former BFF, Hattie, Simpson's cup. And I don't know about anyone else, but I wanted to get to know Florence a little more. And Clementina, who was her former BFF? And although we are told this is a reunion and these people went to school together, the only people to seem to know one another, Arnie, Amy, and Dylan. Of course, I should probably also inquire how many people were in the class. By the looks of the ballroom, the reunion is held. Quite a number. Despite the Grange storyline, this reunion gave me all the nostalgic feelings I need for now. And that is why we are going to give this episode, Whatever Happened to the Class of 56, a 4.5 bonnet rating. Just think of all the time we could have spent getting to know some of those classmates a little bit more, and perhaps maybe a little bit more snarky Charles. And as always, those are some of my thoughts and feelings about this episode. And as always, I wouldn't mind hearing about your thoughts or feelings about this episode or any previous episode or season. From Plum Creek with Love at Gmail and Instagram is how you can reach out. Along with the Instagram account, again, don't forget about that increasing episode-inspired playlist over on Spotify, where you might be introduced to an artist you've never heard of, or find a song you might have forgotten about. Come back next week when I will recap Season 6, Episode 15, Darkness is My Friend. And with that, we come to the end of another episode of From Plum Creek with Love, a little house on the prairie podcast. I'm your host, John Hernandez, and until next time, take care.